if you're a Christian this morning, then you can probably look back on someone who played a major role in leading you to faith in Christ. For some of you, it was your parents. For some of you, it might have been a friend at work or at school. It might have been in your Sunday school class or in a youth group setting or even at a Christian camp. For Timothy, in the New Testament of the Bible, it was the Apostle Paul who helped lead him to faith in Jesus. Timothy was a follower of Jesus, partly because of Paul's preaching. And Paul had poured so much of his life into Timothy. He taught him so much and they'd work really closely together, spreading the good news about Jesus, the gospel. Paul even refers to Timothy as his spiritual son. But now things had changed for them. Timothy was on his own in a town called Ephesus in what is now modern day Western Turkey, whilst Paul was over in Rome in jail, in prison for his faith. Timothy had learnt so much from Paul, but now he was really having to stand on his own two feet. And that was partly why Paul wrote the second letter to Timothy. He'd written two, he, he wrote two letters, first Timothy and now second Timothy, to encourage him to stand strong, even though he was no doubt feeling really vulnerable and isolated and exposed. So we're going to read the next part of Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 13 to 18, as we continue looking at second Timothy here at Regent today. So I'm not going to read it to you and you can follow the words will be up on the screen for you. So Paul says this, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So Paul is chained up in a prison cell there in Rome, and he writes to Timothy to encourage him to keep going, to be strong and to be faithful. Because as, we see, as we'll see today, some of the other Christian leaders in Turkey had abandoned uh, God. They turned their backs on the Christian faith and they'd abandoned Paul. And so Paul, aware of the problems in the church there in Turkey in Ephesus, says these words to Timothy. He says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching or right teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. It seems that there were people in the churches in Ephesus that were drifting away from the truth of the Bible and others who were actively rejecting it and even abandoning it. And this no doubt created all sorts of personal pressure on Timothy. And I'm sure he was really, really feeling it and sensing it. When things go wrong or don't seem to be working out or when life is difficult, one of the temptations can be to question what we really believe. Is the Bible really true? Is following Jesus really worth the cost and the effort? Did God really call me to do what I'm doing now? And Paul was aware of this which is one of the reasons why he encourages Timothy not to turn away from the truth of the Bible and from what he was doing in serving God. Paul wanted Timothy to get a hold of the truths, the, the sound teaching, the right teaching that he'd given to him so that he would live the way that God wanted him to live and that he would lead the churches in Ephesus in a godly way and in a correct way. And he wanted him to do it with faith and love in Christ Jesus. In other words, the faith and love that Timothy had in Jesus ought to be motivating him and inspiring him to do just that. 
If we look ahead into chapter two, which we'll look at in a few weeks time, Paul says this to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The word of truth there is just another way of talking about the Bible, the truths in the Bible. Paul was challenging Timothy to be someone who correctly handled the truths that are written down for us in the Bible, God's word. Timothy was facing isolation. Some of the other key Christian leaders in the region had turned away from God and they weren't associating with Paul anymore. And Timothy was no doubt feeling isolated and vulnerable on a personal level, but also as a key church leader, because there was opposition to what he was teaching. He was teaching the truths of the Bible, but there was opposition to this. So Paul wanted to encourage Timothy and challenge Timothy to know what he believed and to stay faithful to what that truth was. And when difficult times like this come along, it's it's really important that Timothy and we today know what the Bible uh, teaches and that we apply it to our lives correctly. We'll face all kind of challenges in life. So it's important that we know what the Bible teaches and that we build our lives on the truth of the Bible so that when the problems and the challenges and difficulties of life come along, and they will, that we can stand firm and we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to be like the wise man in the parable that Jesus told who built his house on the rock and when the storm came his house stood firm and of course in that parable uh, the rock is a is a picture of Jesus himself and, and, and Jesus words. If we build our lives on the rock that is Jesus and on Jesus words then as difficult as life will often be and sometimes will be we can and we will be able to stand firm. But to do that, we need to know what the Bible teaches. So we need to invest time in reading and studying our Bibles. As Paul was writing this, he was in prison because of his faith in Jesus. But it was because he knew the promises of God contained in the Bible that he was able to stay strong and keep going and keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, even though he was in a horrible situation. Paul, like many Christians around the world today who are persecuted or in prison for their faith in Jesus, knew that, for instance, God has promised in the Bible never to leave or forsake those who love him. And so because of that knowledge and with that knowledge in his mind, Paul, 2000 years ago, and like many Christians today, was able to stay strong, even though he was in prison and was very isolated himself. You see, we need to study the Bible so that we know what it teaches and that we apply it to our lives correctly. Write that on your outline. There'll be an outline sent out to you this week on the church email. So if you've got that and you want to make use of it, it's got all the verses that we're looking at today. We need to study the Bible so that we know what it teaches and that we apply it to our lives correctly. Timothy had to take responsibility for his own life, his own spiritual life, his own walk with God and his own faith in God. He couldn't rely on Paul forever. Paul had poured so much of his life into him and that was fantastic. But now Timothy had to stand on his own two feet. He had to get to grips with what the Bible taught for himself so that he could deal with the challenges that he was facing. And we need to do the same. There's an increasing culture within our churches that says, look, you know, I don't need personally to study because the church leaders will do that for me. They'll tell me what I need to know. The preacher will tell me on a Sunday. And that's one of Satan's lies. Please don't fall for it. Because we all need to know the truth. We all need to handle it correctly, not just the elders or the Bible teachers. Because apart from anything else, what happens when the elders aren't around or end up in prison like Paul? Then what happens to us? 
Or what happens if the elders are wrong? Just because a preacher says something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Or when they write a book, it doesn't necessarily mean that that book is true or accurate. I hope you feel that you can trust me as a Bible teacher and as one of the elders here at Regent. I hope you feel you can trust the other elders and the other Bible teachers that we have here at Regent. But don't just take what we say at face value. Check it out for yourself. Test every word that is taught here at Regent against the Bible. Take it away. Examine it. Look at it. Check it out for yourself. Make sure it stands up. And if it doesn't, come and challenge us about that because we want to make sure that what we're teaching is the truth of the Bible and not something that we've added to it or cleverly invented ourselves. We all need to be people who know what we believe and why we believe, because sooner or later we will all face difficulties and challenges in life. And we need to know what we believe and why we believe it, because sadly there will be people who claim to be Christians, but will then oppose the truth of the Bible. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in verse 14. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What was it that had been entrusted to Timothy? What was this good deposit? Well, it was the truth, the Bible, that whole package of good news about Jesus. The truth that he is God's one and only son. The truth that he was sinless, that he was uh, born of a virgin, that he died on the cross, that he was punished there for your sin, for my sin, that he that he died, that he rose again and that he's coming back again. It's all of that truth and so much more that we find in the Bible. But we need to carefully guard this truth that has changed our lives. It's changed my life. and I know it's changed probably many of your lives, this package of truth, the gospel. But we need to carefully guard it. It's been entrusted to us. And so we need to carefully guard it because there are all sorts of people around who will attack it and who will undermine it. Because it is such a, a phenomenal package of truth because it truly does change lives, not just now, but for all eternity. And that's why people will attack it. If we don't know what the Bible teaches and what we believe, then how will we know when someone teaches things that are wrong and are false? The Apostle Peter says this in his second letter in the New Testament of the Bible. He says there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. There are all sorts of people in the world and in the UK today claiming to be Christians who are teaching all kinds of things that might sound fine at first, might sound really attractive to us. But when you examine what they're teaching, they're really attacking the good news about Jesus. And we need to be aware of this. Not everything we hear will be true. Not everything we read will be true. Not everything on Christian TV will necessarily be true. We mustn't be naive. And Paul says to Timothy in his first letter to him, which we looked at here at Regent last year, he says that the origin of these false teachings is often demonic. Look at what he says. The spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Well, it's a really strong verse, isn't it? And that's why we need to study our Bibles. The only way that we will recognize false teachings is when we know the truth. And the way that we get to know the truth is by studying the Bible ourselves. It's great to have others teaching and helping and putting in and, and, and inputting into our lives. But ultimately, we need to stand on our own two feet and take responsibility for what we know and for how we live. You know, banks don't train their staff to spot uh, false banknotes. They train them to intimately know what real banknotes look like. Because if you know what the real thing looks like, then you can spot the fake. 
And if we know what the Bible really teaches, then we can spot false teaching when we hear it or when we read it or when we see it. And once we know the truth of the Bible, we need to keep on reminding ourselves about it. Most Bible teaching that we hear or that we read or we see won't probably give us anything new. It's just about reminding ourselves about things we already know. But we need to keep on reminding ourselves because we're so forgetful. And we need to make them that daily choice to live by what we hear, to live by the, the word of truth, God's word, the Bible, even if that might prove costly for us, as it was doing for Paul when he wrote these words. There are all sorts of people around us who will undermine, oppose or attack the Bible. And sadly, some of them will even profess to be Christians. So we need to be equipped and we need to be ready and able to spot false teachings and to defend the truth of the Bible. But it's not just opposition from some professing Christians that we need to be ready for. Look at one of last week's verses, which Stuart uh, looked at for us. Paul says this to Timothy in last week's passage. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Paul was in prison and he was trying to get Timothy to face up to the reality that he too may end up suffering because of his love for Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself never pulled any punches about the reality of following him. Look at what he said in one occasion. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. It's not that everyone will hate us, but if and when we do face persecution, we shouldn't be surprised. Just look at what the world did to Jesus. So write this down on your outline. If I follow Jesus, I need to be ready for persecution. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I shouldn't be surprised when I face persecution. I need to be ready for persecution. Write that in. The world around us in general doesn't like Jesus and it doesn't like the message that Jesus brings. And for many Christians in the world today, they know that if they want to follow Jesus, it will mean real hardships and possibly even death. Around 10% of the world's Christians today live with real and violent persecution. And I'm not being alarmist when I, and I don't want to be alarmist when I say that I believe that it will begin to come to this country too in the years ahead. I think we're already beginning to see a, a kind of change in the culture in this country, which is increasingly against the church, against the gospel and against the truth of the Christian faith. Right now, we are free to meet and live more or less as we want, although I do think we'll increasingly find that we'll face more and more opposition. But right now, there are many of our Christian brothers and sisters, the members of our spiritual family around the world this morning who can't meet freely and who face arrest and imprisonment for their faith. I was talking with a friend of mine recently who had to flee the country he lived in about two years ago because he had become a Christian. And he and his family had to get up one night and flee to the UK to escape arrest. The, the local leaders of his church had already been arrested and he had to get out. And he was sharing how good it was to find a local church where he'd been settled by the UK government. A, a church that welcomed him and his family and helped him and, and helped him settle and welcomed him as their brother. And that's the kind of church that we want to be here at Region, don't we? Absolutely. A, a church that welcomes everybody but especially a church that welcomes believers our brothers and sisters who've had to flee from their own country and a church that stands with those who can't flee 
My friend was fortunate that he was able to flee. Many Christians can't this morning and are in prison and are facing real persecution and often death. Sadly, Paul didn't have a great experience of solidarity when he was arrested. Look at verse 15. He says to Timothy, you know that everyone in the province of Asia and Asia was actually a Roman province of what is now modern day Turkey. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Can you imagine if after this service this morning, the police burst into your home or uh, into this building here or wherever you're watching and arrested you for being a Christian, arrested you for listening to this or for uh, doing something as a Christian. And then the rest of your church family, the rest of us here at Regent just deserted you and abandoned you, pretended we didn't know you, had nothing more to do with you. That was Paul's experience, largely according to what he writes here to Timothy. There was one person from Ephesus where Timothy was who had helped Paul, and his name was Onesiphorus. Paul says, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Onesiphorus hadn't deserted or abandoned Paul. Instead, at great personal inconvenience and risk, He'd identified himself with Paul and he'd even gone to Rome to find him. Now, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in prison, especially when it's unjustly. And I can't imagine what it must be like to have been abandoned and deserted as Paul was. But I can imagine how encouraged Paul must have been by Onesiphorus, a man who'd gone out of his way to do what he could to help Paul in his time of need. And so Paul says, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. That's Paul's way of saying, may Onesiphorus receive a special reward from Jesus when he comes again. Onesiphorus had stuck by Paul through thick and thin. He didn't just help him when he was in Ephesus, but he'd gone to Rome and he'd searched for him and he'd helped him and he'd identified with him and he provided all sorts of help perhaps for Paul there when he was in prison. And when our brothers and sisters sadly find themselves having to flee their own countries and come to live here in the UK, then it's really important that we do all we can to welcome and care for them. We probably can't go to their countries and visit them in prison like an Esiphorus did. But when they come to this country, we can do all that we can, surely, to welcome them, to help them, and to treat them as our brothers and sisters. See, we belong to a worldwide family, a worldwide family of brothers and sisters. God is our father if we've trusted in Jesus. And every other person on the planet that has trusted in Jesus is now our brother and our sister. Our human family is important, but actually, according to the Bible, our new Christian family is even more important. My human family is important, but it will only last for this life. My spiritual family, my Christian family will last for all eternity. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the Bible says this, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. He's not talking about prisoners in general. He's talking about Christians who are in prison or who are being ill-treated because of their faith in Jesus. 10%, around about 10% of our worldwide Christian family this morning live with the threat of prison because of their faith in Jesus. Around 70,000 Christians in North Korea right now are in labor camps, forced labor camps, because they love Jesus. 
The Bible says to, to us to remember them as if we were in prison with them. And when the Bible talks about remembering, it's usually code for praying. It's just another way of saying pray for them. Remember them when you're talking to God. We're to pray for them as if we were the ones who were suffering. Jesus talking about the time when he will return to reign in glory and judge the living and the dead says these words. And when he talks about the king here, he's referring to himself. So bear that in mind. He says these words, then the king, that's himself. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus isn't talking here about how we help people in need in general. He's specifically referring to what we do to help those he refers to as his brothers and sisters. In other words, other Christians. Of course, we should do what we can to help anyone that we find that's in need. That's what it means to love our neighbour. But as those who are a part of Jesus' worldwide family, the church, we have a special and a unique responsibility towards our brothers and sisters, towards other Christians around the world. And that's what Jesus is specifically talking about here. When our Christian brothers and sisters are hungry, are thirsty, are refugees, need clothing, are ill or are imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus, then we're called to help them as if we were helping Jesus himself. And how we treat our brothers and sisters in need is a reflection of our love for Jesus because they are his brothers and sisters. I'm going to watch a short video now produced by Open Doors, which is one of the main Christian organisations that exists to help persecuted Christians around the world. So we're going to watch this now and then, we'll, then I'll come back in a moment or so. That video highlighted five countries, but there are many, many more countries around the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing opposition and real persecution. It's really sobering, isn't it, this morning to think that there were more Christians murdered for their faith in the 20th century than in the previous 19 combined. And I don't know how many more in the 21st century, but probably uh, tens of thousands already. As we have gathered freely this morning, to worship God. We're not facing arrest because we're Christians. The reality is that some of our Christian family will, will have been arrested this morning. They will have been beaten. They will have been imprisoned. And some may even have been killed, even this morning, because they love Jesus. North Korea is often in the news, isn't it, because of its nuclear program and the kind of geopolitics that it's involved with. What few people will know and realise is that there are around 70,000 Christians, followers of Jesus, in forced labour camps because they love Jesus, because of their faith. But what's also amazing in North Korea is that the church there is growing fast and there are now around 300,000 believers in Jesus in North Korea. China is another country that we hear so much about in the news. Chinese Christians face all kinds of opposition and persecution, but God is doing amazing things there in China right now. 
It's estimated that there are about 97 million Christians in China. It's about 7% of the population. There are more Christians in China than there are people in the UK. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Terrible things are happening to our Christian family around the world. Yet, at the same time, God is doing amazing things. And many people are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus. So where does that leave us all this morning? Well, we need to face up to the fact that in this country, things are going to become increasingly anti-Christian over the coming years. Some of that opposition will sadly come from within the established church, from within, from those professing to be Christians. Some of it will come from outside the church, from the media, from the government, from wherever. People we know, perhaps. And that's one of the reasons why we need to grow in our own understanding of the Bible, take responsibility for our own walk with God and our own faith in Jesus so that we can stand firm if and when trouble comes. When there's no one else around and it's just me, I need to be strong enough. My, my, my faith needs to be built on the rock that is Jesus so that I can withstand the storms that come. We need to keep the pattern uh, of sound and right teaching that we've received. We need to guard this good deposit, the truth of the gospel about Jesus that's been entrusted to us so that we're preaching the right thing. So that we're not deceived by false teachers, so that we keep on preaching and teaching and sharing the truth of the gospel and leading people to put their faith and trust in Jesus. But for our brothers and sisters around the world, what can we do practically this morning? Well, there are four things that we can do to help them. Firstly, we can make sure that we're informed about what's happening. There are three main Christian organisations that you can link up with and they will supply you with information and prayer points. And they'll be up on the screen for you. There's Open Doors, there's Release International and there's Barnabas Fund. And the website should be up on your screen and they're on your outline as well for you. And I'd really encourage you to check out those websites, look at them, sign up for their news, uh, find out a bit more about the persecuted church. Secondly, armed with the information that we have, we can pray. And prayer changes things. Prayer does amazing things when we pray. Thirdly, we can lobby foreign governments by writing letters to their ambassadors and to our own foreign office and Apparently, foreign governments take a lot of notice when they receive letters from UK citizens and especially from the foreign secretary or, or people in UK government. Fourthly, we can give money to organisations which are trying to help the members of our Christian family in other countries who are facing persecution and are experiencing it right now. And you can give to Regent via these organisations or, or you can just give direct. And I would really encourage you, however you do it, to consider giving financially to the work of these organisations if you're financially able to. We can't this morning go and visit most Christians in the world that are in prison. We can't do that. We can't do what Onesiphorus did for Paul. But by perhaps just even just giving £10 a month to one of these organisations, we would, might be able to help local Christians as they visit their brothers and sisters in jail or as they try and help the families that have been left behind whilst loved ones have been imprisoned or have been murdered for the gospel. So let's step, let's step up, let's step forward, let's be faithful to the truth that's been given to us. Let's stand firm on the rock of Jesus and, our, and on the sound teaching that we've got in the Bible, the word of truth. Let's remember our brothers and sisters this morning around the world as they face all kinds of persecution. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of truth, this good deposit, this great package of news, the gospel message that you've entrusted to us. Help us build our lives upon it and build our lives upon you, we pray, and help us to follow you each day. Help us to be 
to take responsibility for our walk with you and to know what we believe and to be ready to face the opposition that will come from life in general and perhaps sometimes even from persecution. We also want to lift up our brothers and sisters this morning around the world who right now are facing persecution and opposition and even death for the sake of the name of Jesus. We pray for them, protect them, keep them safe, supply their needs, we pray. And help us, we pray, to not just pray now, but to continue praying and to continue praying as individuals and as a church and to give if we are able to do that. Uh, Put on our hearts, I pray this morning, a a passion to identify with uh, our brothers and sisters around the world in this way. Well, would you bless us this morning? We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've reminded us of. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.